All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 2. We'll cover verses 8 through 11, the, the message today to the church in Smyrna. Overall outline of these seven messages, the first and the last are in grave spiritual danger. The, the middle three are in a mixture of faithfulness and a mixture of error. And then the second and the sixth, sixth churches are, are found to be faithful, truly and fully faithful. And, and Smyrna is one of those two churches. It will, you'll see in here that, that Jesus does not say, I have this against you regarding anything. He only highlights their faith. This church was located in the city of Smyrna, which was about 35 miles from Ephesus. It was a harbor city. It was nestled in some hills. And as you entered the harbor on a ship, you would be struck by the beauty of just the entire setting. It was called to be the, the crown of Asia or modern day Turkey, just the way it was nestled within the mountains around the harbor. Um, about 600 years, 700 years before this, this message was written, the city was destroyed and rebuilt and the city planners did uh, worked hard to, to, to make the architecture and the layout of the roads just kind of fit and meld into the surrounding areas. Um, Smyrna, interestingly enough, I discovered this week is the Greek of it's the Greek version of the Hebrew word that we get myrrh from. You know, the, the wise men brought gold, frankincense and myrrh, that that per perfume that was used for embalming and the trees in the area was a source of this perfume. It had various temples to gods of the Greek and Roman pantheon. It also had a temple to Tiberius Caesar. And so uh, Caesar worship was a large part of the life in Smyrna. And so it's into this context that Jesus, through John, writes these words. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let us pray. God, you are a God of victory. And we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can see that victory even in the midst of suffering, the suffering that we will go through, the tribulation that we will experience. And Lord, today through these words, open our ears and eyes so that we might see the hope and the security that we have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. V who was in her 70s and, and her friend soon, who was in her 50s, are, are women who lived in a small village in Laos, a, a country that borders Vietnam. V for years struggled with chronic pain and illness, and she went to the local shaman. She prayed to her ancestors as she had been taught to do all of her life and could find no relief, no peace. One day, out of desperation, she walked two hours to another village because she had heard that there were people there who would pray for her and help her in her distress. 
She found healing in those prayers and and kept going back to learn what they had. And ultimately, through her relationship and through their prayer, she came to believe in the message of salvation and redemption through Christ alone. Soon saw the peace that V had, and she wanted that. Soon had been married multiple times to very horrifically abusive husbands. And V ultimately shared the message of the cross with Soon, and she found peace as well. Both of these women had to leave the village where they lived, where they grew up. They stopped going to the local shaman, the local witch doctor, and, and giving him his money that he, he, he got from people every month. They stopped praying to their ancestors and their, their families and their friends turned their back on them. They, they lost the, the financial support of, and economic support of the community and they had to leave. And right now, They are living in a borrowed house in the village where V first sought prayer for her illness. They are living off the benevolence of the church until they can find a way and a place to begin to support themselves again. And in the midst of all this hardship and turmoil, both V and Soon have a sense of security and joy because they know that Jesus is sovereign over all of this and that he holds them firmly and securely in his hands. That is the message that Jesus gives to us and to the Smyrna church today. He tells them that while persecution is on its way, Jesus holds them secure. You will suffer. It's the message that Jesus has for the Christians in Smyrna. In verse 9, he opens up by saying, I know what you're going through. And and that word know is more than just a, a, a sense of information that Jesus has that word know that is used there is a word that 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 talks or that that should bring to mind an omniscient and intimate knowledge of what the church is going through remember from last week's sermon and also from Revelation chapter 1 verses uh, 9 through 20 that that Jesus is portrayed as this glorified resurrected being that is walking amongst the lampstands and those lampstands are the churches The picture there is that Jesus is actively involved in his churches, examining them to know what they're going through, to know what they're teaching, to know, are they faithful? Are they struggling? Are they in dire danger of spiritually having that lampstand removed and not not any longer having the protection of Jesus? Jesus is intimately and omnisciently aware of everything that is going on in his church. He knows what is going on in the life of his children, and that should bring comfort. In addition, we also know that Jesus knows the suffering because when his church suffers, he suffers as well. What did what did Paul hear in Acts chapter nine as he was struck from his horse by the loud voice? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting Christians And Jesus says, yes, when you persecute my people, you persecute me. So Jesus offers the comfort of his knowledge to the Christians there in Smyrna. But he says, you are going to suffer. What are they going to suffer? They're going to suffer afflictions. That word afflictions there is the word that shows up multiple times throughout the first seven chapters of Revelation and is oftentimes translated tribulation. He said, I know your tribulations, your, your, the, the suffering, the, the affliction that you're going through. Tribulation is the pressing 
on a person that comes from internal and external sources. It's the it's the pressure that comes from distress, hostility, harassment, oppression, disease, sickness, whatever it is that is that is trying to force you down, whatever it is that comes upon humanity in general and on the church specifically. He says, I know that you will suffer. What will they suffer? They'll suffer poverty. This isn't just the poverty of, 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 of thinking, you know, man, it's a little tight this month. We had to have the car worked on. And so, you know, I'm going to have to let this bill slide until next month just because I don't have enough money in the bank account. This is the poverty of destitution. As I mentioned, there were several gods that had temples in the city of Smyrna. And if you worked in a certain industry, you had to be part of a guild or, or a union. And, and if you didn't follow the rules of the guild or the union, you didn't work. And if you didn't work, you didn't eat. They didn't have a, a, a welfare system to fall back upon. And, and one of the rules that if you were a silversmith or, or you were a leather worker or you were a blacksmith, one of the rules was you had to worship and offer sacrifices to the God of the guild. And if you didn't, you didn't get work. And so their poverty may have come through something like that to where they have lost the ability to provide food and clothing and shelter for your family. And so the first affliction that they suffer is poverty. But what does Jesus say about that? He actually stops in the middle of that. He says, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. How are they rich? They have no way to put food on the table. They have no way to take care of themselves. But Jesus says, you're rich. How are they rich? Well, it's the inheritance that they have because they are the children of God. And we'll look at that inheritance a little bit later. But all the promises that we will see throughout Revelation, even those, especially, not even, but especially those promises that we, we only think about at funerals. No more death. No more tears. No more pain. No more sorrow. That is their inheritance. And because of that, because of the grace that they have, because of the reconciliation with God that they have, because of the fact that they can approach God in prayer without fear of his judgment, they are rich. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he said, you know, Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that you who are poor, who are spiritually poor, who are spiritually destitute can have the riches of God's grace of salvation. They're going to suffer not only poverty, they're going to suffer slander or the word is literally the word that's used elsewhere for blasphemy. This is speech that is designed to injure, designed to hurt, designed to destroy. What kind of slander did the, the Christians in the first and second century Rome suffer? Well, they were accused of being cannibals. We, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every month, do we not? We, we talk about eating the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, from somebody outside the church, that sounds really weird. They were accused of being cannibals. They were accused of having loose sexual morals. Romans ends with greet one another with a holy kiss. They talk about this love and this intimacy that they had for each other. And in a world very much like ours, where love is almost automatically equated with sex, they were accused of being licentious. They were, they were accused, and, and this is interesting, of being atheists. 
Why were they accused of being atheists? Well, they refused to say Caesar is God. They refused to say Apollo is God. They refused to say Jupiter is God. They refused to to recognize the deity of all the other gods of the empire. So they were accused of not believing in any god. And and because of all of this, persecution is coming. It, It is the slandering of the people of God specifically by people who claim to be the people of God, the Jews of Smyrna. And, and, and Jesus says they are actually, they, they, they claim to be the people of God. They are not the people of God. They are the church of Satan, the synagogue of Satan, it says there. And we have to be careful with this. We have to understand what this means, what Jesus through John is saying here. John has been accused of being an anti-Semite by, by using the phrase synagogue of Satan twice in chapters two and three. A little bit difficult for John to be anti-Jewish since he himself was a Jew. But what is he saying here? Think about John 8, 44, and and look this up later, John 8, 44. John is talking to the religious leaders, and they're talking about truth. They're talking about falsehood. And Jesus flat out says says to them, I am proclaiming truth. You are proclaiming falsehood like your father, the devil, who is the father of murderers, the father of lies. The Jews in Smyrna and in much of the Roman Empire, once they got tired of Christians, seeing that Christians were growing, the church was growing, it was taking members away from the synagogues, they started slandering Christians. Who is the source of lies and falsehoods in this world? Satan, Satan himself. And so John, Jesus through John says, these Jews who claim to be the people of God are actually a synagogue of Satan. So they're going to suffer poverty. They're going to suffer blasphemy. They're going to suffer imprisonment. He says, I, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And we'll get to the 10 days here in a few minutes. But notice there that he says that it's the devil who will put some of them in prison and, and some of them will have to be faithful even to death. Some of them were going to suffer death in as part of their tribulation, as part of their persecution. And notice that he says there, as I pointed out just a second ago, that it's the devil that will put some of you in prison. Now, when the persecution started full force in Smyrna that Jesus had predicted, did did the, the Christians hear a knock on the door and open the door and there standing before them was the guy with, you know, the red skin and the horns and the tail and the pitchfork standing there and taking them to prison. No, that's not how it happened. It was a Roman legionnaire, a a human just like you and I. And we oftentimes think that our persecution, our tribulation, our suffering is a natural thing. But Jesus through John, begins to point out something here that he will show throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. That for all of our physical ailments, for all of our suffering at the hands of fellow human beings, there is a spiritual battle that's going on behind those things, and the devil is behind it. Now, we have rightly been brought up to to think, you know, don't, don't go around looking for a demon behind every bush. But, but in her podcast, Krista Bontrager says, 
you know, we might need to live, even though we're not fearful of the demon behind every bush, we might need to live with the reality that there likely is a demon behind every bush. There's a spiritual aspect to our world that we ignore, much to our detriment. When Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, it's because the gates of hell and all the armies of hell will try to prevail against the church. Now, you can't go blaming and say, you know, a demon made me do that or Satan made me do that. That's that's an excuse that's not acceptable to God. But sometimes when things are going wrong in our lives, we need to pray not only for the physical, but for the spiritual aspect of that. Lord, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You do. You're sovereign. You're omniscient. You see it all. But whatever attacks are coming upon me from the from the minions of the devil, Please make it stop. Think about Job. Job, there was a fire that came. Fire came from heaven, burned up part of his flocks. Bandits came and stole the other part of his flocks. A a, a great wind came and knocked down his home. And and when the home fell, it it killed his children. And, And he had disease that came upon himself. And Job, that's all Job saw. But at the beginning of Job 1 and the beginning of Job 2, we see kind of behind the curtain. And we see that what what has happened is Satan has come to God and Satan has said, let me test Job because I don't think he really loves you. I think he only likes you because you've given him a bunch of stuff. So why don't you let me take it all away and we'll see how much Job really hates you. And God says, fine, let's see. And we, we see at the end of chapter 2 that in all of this, Job did not sin. And we see as Job goes on throughout the rest of the book that he skirted the line of sin. He said some things that he shouldn't have, but he always went to God at the end. And he allowed God to correct him in his suffering. And so it says here that the devil will test you through the tribulation. The devil will test you through the suffering. The devil is not trying to see how faithful you can be. The devil is trying to destroy your faith by what he brings to you is what he's saying here. And so Jesus says to the church, much as Paul says to the church in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 through 4, Jesus says this suffering will come. The devil will bring tribulation to seek to destroy you. And you'll be okay. One of the commentators I looked at this week said these persecuted believers were not promised escape from tribulation. They were promised instead something far greater. The grace to endure afflictions without fear. And the one and the pledge that the one who died and came to life again will certainly bring them through to the crown of life. If you look at verse eight the one that speaks these words to the, to the Christians there in Smyrna, identifies himself as the one who was the first and the last, the one who died and came to life again. These are pictures taken from that, that vision that John had in chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, where, where he sees Jesus in his resurrected and glorified form. And Jesus comes to the, the church in Smyrna 
with, with two aspects of his revelation there, the first and the last and the one who died and came to life again, because that's what they needed to know. To, secu- to be secure, to be safe, to be comforted in the midst of persecution. What does it matter that, that Jesus d- describes himself as the first and the last? Well, that, that references his eternity. That references his lordship over time. Long before there was a devil, long before there were demons, long before there was a world where the devil could, could wage war against God in the hearts of human beings, Jesus was. Jesus is, as he says of himself in John. He is eternally past. He is infinite and eternal. And long after Satan has been defeated, long after Satan and his demonic followers, his human followers have been thrown into the lake of fire, Jesus will be. He is Lord over time is what Jesus was saying here when he says he is the first and the last. And he says persecution is coming for a short period of time. Now, he likely does not mean that it's only going to be 10 days. You know, if it starts on February 1st, it'll be done by February 11th. 10 is a number that denotes fullness, wholeness, completeness. And what Jesus is saying is, is your persecution will be for a limited amount of time and it has an expiration date. What do you suffer with right now? What are you struggling with right now in your life? What is is bringing tribulation to you in your life right now? It should bring comfort for you to know that he who is the first and the last, he who is Lord over time, has set an end date for whatever you're struggling with right now. It's not going to last forever. Sometimes it feels like it. Read Psalm 88 one day when you're just really down in the dumps. The psalmist most likely was suffering from a chronic illness from what we can tell in the language. And by the end of the psalm, he says, Lord, I've been struggling so long. I don't even think it's a train anymore because I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just keep walking through this and it is nothing but utter, complete and total darkness. God speaks into that saying. It's not. It's not an eternal darkness. Your tribulation has an end date and I know what it is and I will strengthen you. I will give you the grace of strength to see it all the way through to the end. But he also reveals himself as the one who died and who came to life again. And we we read that and we think, hallelujah, I have salvation because Jesus died on the cross and he came to life again. But linked to that in chapter one and linked to that in other places in the book of Revelation, he who died and came to life again holds within his hands the keys of death and hell. It means he has authority over death, which means that even if whatever tribulation is in your life right now, if the expiration date of that tribulation is your death, you're okay. Because you are protected from the second death. What does he mean by that? Well, Scripture interprets Scripture. So we go to Revelation 19. We go to Revelation 20. We go to Revelation 21. And we see where Jesus says the second death is the lake of fire. It is the end of Satan. It is the end of Satan's demonic followers. It is the end of Satan's human followers. Is the second death. It is the lake of fire. It is that eternal judgment that comes upon sinners. Christian, brother and sister in Christ, 
you will not suffer the second death. And what Jesus is saying here is, I have all authority over death. And it can't touch you. How many of us are so fearful of death sometimes? You know, I turned 50 a few years ago. I thought more about my my mortality that year than I ever have in my entire life. It got to the point where Michelle had to say, please stop talking about it. Why was I fearful of that? Jesus holds that in his hands. That's his. It can't touch me. It can't hurt me. If I was without Christ, yeah, I should be fearful because the second death would grab me and tear me and seek to destroy me for all of eternity. But Jesus said, instead of the second death, you who are faithful get the crown of life. Death is a victory for the child of God. Suffering is a victory for the child of God. You know, in Eusebius's history of the church, he gives a list of of Christians and and I, and I think he picks out the most horrific deaths of the martyrs. And, and those men and those women were ushered into the Colosseums and the cities in which they died. And the crowds hooted and hollered because look at those silly Christians. If they would just say a handful of words, they could win today. But we're going to win. No. Even in death, the Christian is victorious because Jesus is the one who died and who came back to life and holds the keys of death and Hades in his hands. Brothers and sisters, there is no struggle. There is no suffering that will come upon you that will last forever. But even if the end date of that suffering, that struggle is your death, you are still victorious because Jesus has been victorious on the cross He has conquered death. He has conquered hell. And even if you die here on this earth, you have the eternal life with him. Now, this doesn't mean that we face struggle and tribulation with, you know what? It is what it is. We face death. We face tribulation with a sense of victory because we are held secure by the first and the last the one who died and the one who came to life. It is not merely, it is not merely what it is. It is secure in his hand. It is in his sovereign control and it cannot beat you, whatever it is. You have life and victory in the presence of the Father and staying faithful in the face of tribulation leads to life and to victory for the child of God. I read V and Soon's story in the magazine Voice of the Martyrs. And the author wrote near the end of the article about V and about Soon that that she had told these two people that millions of Christians around the world would read their story and they would pray for V and for Soon and for the other Christians in Laos. And V looked at the reporter and said, well, Is there any way you can get me their names? Because if they love me enough to pray for me, I want to pray for them. In the midst of losing everything, her home, her family, her livelihood, she is so secure in the victory given to her by the first and the last, the one who died and came to life again, 
that she wants to pray for other Christians around the world who've got it good, yet are willing to pray for her. Brothers and sisters, you will suffer tribulation. And the risen, glorious Savior will keep you secure and victorious in the face of that tribulation. I ask you again, what are you suffering? Where is life pressing upon you? It doesn't have to be Roman legions banging down your door and dragging you off to jail. It can be difficulty at work. It can be a diagnosis. It can be a bad marriage. It can be anything that the enemy uses to press you down, to seek to get you to say, I hate God for bringing these things into my life. Jesus secures you through those things. The eternal, risen, glorified Savior holds you and your life secure in his hands. And the faithful will receive the victor's crown of life. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, what, what glorious truth. We, we try to ignore suffering. We try to... to, to to rationalize it away. We, we try to think, you know, if I just keep a smile on my face and if I keep the right level of faith, everything will be okay. It's not how it works. You say that for your people, suffering comes. And so help us to suffer well. Help us to suffer in the hands of a sovereign God who will, who is and will continue to be faithful to us and who will see those who are faithful to him who will see them to get the crown of life. Lord, I know there are a lot of struggles in this church right now. Remind us of who you are. And remind us that who you are brings us joy. Who you are brings us life. And who you are brings us security in the face of tribulation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen take this blessing upon you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.